Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. My name's in the Lamb Book of Life. Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. Do we live like that? I'm a warrior of a king. I'm in the army of the Lord. I am his child. Do we believe that? The devil is going to throw everything he's got at any belief that affirms your relationship with God. Six, seven, eight years ago, God started to plant in my heart. If you're deceived, do you know it? We live in a generation where the devil is pouring everything on that would cause us to doubt, that would cause us to be deceived, that would cause us not to see truth. That's why we've got to get in front of the mirror and say, I am a child of God. I am his warrior son or daughter. I am forgiven. I am bought by the blood of Jesus. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I will live in heaven one day. I do have God walking with me right now, right here. We've got to come to the place that we don't fear the Lord in a sense that I'm afraid, but I fear the Lord in a sense that he's my dad. And that I have no fear of man. Because if I please God, have you pleased him? Because he's pleased in you. The Bible says he sings over you. He loves you. He went to the cross for you. He embraces the thought of you every chance he gets. He thinks of you. I can't imagine the creator of the heavens and the earth thinking about me. The world feels too big. It feels like it's too crowded. There's too many people. But God doesn't see the mass of humanity. He sees me. He sees you. God wants you to understand how big you are in his sight because the devil wants to make you small. He wants you to to feel insignificant. He wants you to forget who you are and whose you are. You're God's. And if God thinks highly of you, what more do you need? Who do you need to think highly of you if God thinks highly of you? Who do you need? Who are you waiting on? We're princes and princesses under the throne of heaven. God has put us in his family. We need to grab that. All right, all you going to members class, go. The pastor's pacing at the door. Go, be gone. Happily ever after. You know you're going to miss what's happening in here. I know the word got out. We were talking about Twinkies. It's all right. Have a seat. Have a seat. We're talking about John's Dilemma tonight, and there's more people involved than John, but it's so amazing how 
uh, pastor can just step on all your notes when he feels like it, you know. It's the truth, because what happens is, I used to have people accuse me of watching uh, Christian TV before I came to preach. I didn't have time for that, you know. But uh, people would say, I just heard that on TV this morning on the way to church. I said, well, what that means is that the leadership in the church is on the same frequency. That means God's broadcasting and his people are listening. You know, it means God's running down a groove. And he has a plan and he's developing and cultivating and purposing in his heart to accomplish something in particular. I feel um, repetitive sometimes and, and I wonder, you know, why? I read about a pastor who preached the same verse for five years. You'd have to be a pretty creative guy to come up with something new every Sunday off of one verse. And they cornered him and said, when are you going to use the rest of the Bible? And he says, when you get this verse, I'll move on to the next one. I couldn't believe he said that. What a brave guy. But still, what an amazing thought that God wants us to absorb, grow, and change. You know, you, you would not expect to be changing the diaper of a grown child. You would not be expecting to lead them to the bathroom and tell them, you know, it's time you sat for a little while on the toilet now. And yet, the Bible says that there are Christians that sometimes haven't got to the meat yet. God wants us to be mature. And I've seen youngsters in the faith that are more mature than the old timers. We shouldn't need to be coddled. We're supposed to be contributors. But a lot of times we feel like we've invested in the bank, now it's time for me. Scoot over. But if you got teeth, you shouldn't be nursing anymore. Right? You know what a baby in the faith does? Feed me, hold me, change me. Feed me, hold me, change me. What did Jesus say about the meat? My meat is to do what? The will of my heavenly Father. So my meat is not to receive, it's to give. It's to serve. It's to accomplish. John the Baptist, what a guy. He would have known Jesus because, well, they were kin. They were related. You know, when I say I'm related to Jesus, it's not in a Jewish way. It's just by the blood of Jesus I'm related to uh, heaven's family. But John was related to Jesus. They were cousins. So here's John the Baptist doing this baptizing thing after he came in from the wilderness, eating grasshoppers, locusts, wild honey, wearing a camel hair outfit, looking like a crazy man. I got a feeling that he looked like he needed a good haircut. You know what I mean? Probably didn't have a groomed beard like our worship leader. He probably had some straggly, crazy, wild eye looking thing. He probably was just interesting enough to really draw Jerusalem out to the Jordan to take a look at this crazy man. He had one purpose. His, his message was harsh. His message was judgment is coming. He was one of the last prophets like Matt talked about. The axe is laid at the root. You just look out because God's done playing. 
Jesus showed up, and these cousins had probably been down to the swimming hole together. They probably played Egyptians and Israelites together. They they had probably they had probably swung on the, uh, you know the rope together. They had climbed the tree together. They had they had done stuff together. They you know just had a lot of fun together. But now it didn't look like his cousin anymore. When he came to the River Jordan to be baptized, John said, there's, there's the Messiah right there. I'm the forerunner. I'm, I'm the last prophet of the Old Testament. I'm, I'm rolling out the carpet for something new, and there it is right there. It's Jesus. It, it had to be a magnificent moment, and yet it had to be troubling, because when Jesus said, baptize me, John, he said, oh, no, 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 cousin, I... I'm not worthy to unlatch your shoe. Do it for me, John. And he baptized him. When he came up out of the water, a dove descended. The Holy Spirit came down in the fashion of a dove, and out of the heavens a voice said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. It was a moment. John's ministry was for one moment. You know, sometimes I feel that I could have contributed more to the world in ministry because I started at 15, but I've had a lot of breaks in ministry because of life circumstances. And, and yet, Jesus only had three years. It seems like John only had 30 minutes. I mean, it was just, he was here drawing crowds, and it was over. They arrested John. He was harsh. He called out Herod because he was with Herodias, who was his brother's wife. That doesn't win over kings and potentates, you know. He wasn't shy to say, this is the truth. I do believe with all my heart, without any doubt, that we were right when we began the Pentecostal movement. Holiness is where God lights a fire. We have to be separate from the world. We can't be polluted. We can't be... We can't be intermingled with the world. One of the problems he had with Israel is they kept intermingling. God, God's not I'm not talking about, uh, you know, who you marry as far as their race or where they come from. I'm talking about adopting their gods and their worship and their thinking. And the church many times has adopted too much of the world's thinking that con conflicts with the Bible. So now apologetics are coming up, and apologetics are not apologizing for the Bible. Apologetics are defending the faith. If somebody asks you why you're a Christian, and you told them why you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, that Jesus died on the cross, rose the third day, if you told them why you became a Christian and how long you've been a Christian, what it means to you, you've been an apologist. You've defended your faith. But I want you to know the devil is in the business of creating doubt. I don't want you to hide your doubt. There are questions you may need to ask. In my high school journalism class, the advisor came over and just asked a question, and I didn't even look up. I just answered it. It was a pretty simple Christian faith question. The teacher burst into tears. I'm 16 years old going... Oh, what do I do with that, you know? 
She said, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I asked at church and they said, everybody knows that. But they didn't answer her. Isn't it amazing what we think people know? Just because I've known it for a long time doesn't mean anybody else does. When they ask the question, answer it. If they have a doubt that can be resolved, help them resolve it. If you have a doubt, ask the question. Is science and religion compatible? My faith is completely compatible with science because there's nothing to find out about God that I don't agree with. If they want to extrapolate out of their findings something that's not true, then I have to disagree with that. But all the laws, like the law of gravity, the law of thermodynamics, the law you know, of motion, and all these different theories that have to do with all the things that we've done, like splitting the atom and this sort of thing, those are the boundaries that God created on our creation. It doesn't bother me. The problem of the dinosaurs, it's not really a problem. It's not. The fossil record, most of it was probably created during the flood. A flood, come on. It must have been just a regional flood like we have here in Arkansas. No, it was worldwide. God wiped out humanity. It started over. I believe that. I don't have any doubt. There are times when I doubted that God would want me, but I never doubted that he existed. I had those times when I could read a page in the Bible, and I couldn't remember it. I realized I read a chapter or two, but I'd have to go back and read it again because I went through those dark days of the soul. Different apologists have written about this, where sometimes it's not that you've strayed. It's just that you're going through a dark day. Yea, though I walk through the valley of doubt. I don't fear any evil. I still believe God is. I believe he hadn't forsaken me or left me. But I had a season that lasted a few years. Where I really needed God to be patient with me. Maybe you're in a season God needs to be a little patient with you. Don't give up. When you encounter doubts... Don't give up. Push through. Faith will give you the tools to push through. It's, it's not wrong to doubt. It's wrong to give in to doubt. Doubt and unbelief aren't the same thing. Doubt does strain our faith. Unbelief rejects our faith. Be a believer... But admit you struggle sometimes. What's wrong with admitting that we struggle? The problem is people are afraid of what other people will think. The fear of man is not to be a possession of the believer because our only fear is of the Lord. The Bible says don't fear the one that can kill you. Fear the one that can cast you into hell. I don't have to fear you all. You can't send me to hell, but if I fail, he can Show some respect. When he said stay away from the Asherah pole and Barak and all these different gods, the Baal gods and all this, when he said stay away, he meant it. When he said 
Stay away from perversion. Stay away from envy. Stay away from strife. Stay away. He meant it. Now I've heard people that say, well, if you doubt anything, just doubt your doubts. Well, if you're doubting, that's kind of a hard doubt to handle. Sometimes we put too much weight on the flesh and not enough on the spirit. No matter how wonderful, we have the best pastor I've ever met right here at this church, Matt. But I'm going to tell you something. He's still got feet of clay just like you do. He's still human. Don't, don't put him on some super pedestal. You know what I love about him is he said, do I want to be known as a great preacher or somebody who's pursuing the presence? He gives the right answer every time. I'm pursuing Jesus. Why don't you come along with me? Amen. That's the right answer. And that's why this church will head for greatness because we're not missing the point. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Father God. It's all about the Holy Spirit. It's not about me. It never was. May I decrease so that he can increase. If the world comes to this church because of Tim, I may disappoint them and then they don't make it to heaven. But if they come here because of Jesus, he'll never disappoint. People that are disappointed by God never knew God. Because when you know God, he doesn't disappoint. What disappoints people about God is their ignorance of who he really is. Man, when he forgives me of everything? Really? When he takes away your shame and your guilt and replaces it with love and joy and peace and kindness, God shows kindness toward me? Don't you, when you go to the altar to get saved, don't you kind of feel like you're going to the tool shed? Man, I wonder how big God's switch is, you know. And then you're enveloped in his embrace. When you say, I'm sorry, he said, I know you are. It's all right. You're family now. It's kind of like, what? But I don't deserve it. I, I haven't earned it. He said, you're absolutely right. You didn't deserve it. You haven't earned it. We struggle with that. I think that's why women find it easier than men. Just by nature, women have that ability as nurturers and also, you know, under the protection of the man according to kind of the biblical standard. Men are supposed to be, you know, taking care of matters and bringing home the bacon. It doesn't make it home with me, but, you know, I start out bringing it. You know, kind of thought manna was uh, Twinkies, but then I researched it more. It probably was a BLT, bacon, bacon-flavored biscuits. I don't know what it was, but it had to have bacon. Well, maybe bacon grease. You know, we used to cook with bacon grease. Yeah. I can't wait to see the buffet in heaven. No artificial sweeteners there, I'll assure you of that. Why does it always come back to food? Well, <laughs> take it up with Jesus. <clears throat> Broken people ask. 
hasn't been broken at some point or another. You know, we have to fall on the altar and be, we, when we fall on the rock and we're broken, it's better than the rock falling us and we're crushed. There's a day of judgment I don't want to face when people will be crushed. What harsher words could you hear than depart? Depart. I, I don't know you. There's the door. I like the other door. Well done, you good and faithful servant. I don't really feel that good or faithful, Lord. You were. I'm proud of you. Come on in. God promises he's been preparing a place for us for 2,000 years. He said, I'm going to go now and prepare a place at, that where I am, you can be also. And I think about him, a carpenter, a builder, a creator, having 2,000 years to work on home for us. He only works six days on what we live in. What would 2,000 years offer? Don't you think about the fact that we'll walk on what's important here because the pavement will be the standard that man lived by. We'll be walking on gold because God doesn't care. It's just pavement. What does God care about? Relationship. He wants a relationship. When people doubt, a lot of times they've moved away from their prayer life. They moved away from reading the scriptures. And that's when we're vulnerable. The devil, he can sound churchy. You know, when he had that conversation with Eve, he was sounding churchy. Did God really say, I mean, between me and you, isn't God a nice guy? He's a nice guy. Likeable. Don't you like God? Isn't it sort of fun to see him in the cool of the day? God's not a hard case. Don't worry about it. Smell that fruit. Doesn't it smell good? Look, look how ripe it looks. Did God really say? The devil will plant doubt. And it's our job to flush it out. You're not going to flush it out by hiding from it. You're not going to get rid of it by suppressing it. Don't, don't keep that churning around in your gut. Get it up and out. Talk to somebody. Go to a mentor. Go to a pastor. Talk to somebody and say, you know, I struggle with this. You know, sometimes I've been through all the college courses. If you've gone to college at all, philosophy classes are learning more and more about less and less until you know everything about nothing. But one of the things they do is they attack God. They attack the existence of God, you know, and you'll hear all the different philosophers go through their arguments against God. Our great public school system, huh? And uh, I had somebody in front of me. He was college educated. Matter of fact, he aged out. He'd used up so much grant money, so much scholarship money, so much money money that he was excused from school. I don't know if he got a degree or multiple degrees, but he was like 35 years old and been going to school for 20 years. You know, he just, it was like, goodbye, you can go now. 
And he had no life skills because his whole life was a college campus. So we're sitting at a desk and he's talking to me and he's giving me every argument. And you know, sometimes you're sitting in a class like college where you know they're just handing you a full stack of baloney. And they're doing it with their professor air, you know. God does not exist. And I'm thinking, God probably thinks that's pretty funny. <laughs> but at that moment, everything I'd been taught in that class prepared me to answer every question this brainiac had. And when he'd exhausted every question he could think of, every doubt, every, every confused thought, I explained to him salvation and the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how God sent his only son to save him. After vehemently arguing with every argument the world had given him, you know what he said in the end? I always wondered how that worked. And he accepted Jesus. Do you know they want to accept Jesus? They want to believe in something. Believing in nothing is leaving them feeling empty. Believing in nothing is they're spending their time numbing the pain of it. They need to believe. But they won't believe if we don't believe. Sometimes it's painful to express our belief because we wonder what people will think of us. And that goes back to what I said earlier in the service. If we know what God thinks of us, who cares what people think? I had the best parents. I don't know why I lucked out. Some people have not had the best parents, but I did. I had the be I'm so sorry for you guys, but I had the best ones. Hey, it happens, you know. Luck of the draw. But they were good people. My mother, for the most part, was a stay-at-home mom during a generation that still tried to do that. My dad, you know, worked hard. And uh, they took us to church, and they loved Jesus. My mother was a prayer warrior. My fa father was very by the book. I mean by the Bible. Love Jesus and live a life that pleases him. Very fortunate. But almost nobody else I knew was, was a child of a home like that. I had friends. We had to walk through a cloud of pot to get back to their room. I, I had friends who were out at the lake having keggers through high school. I, I had friends that just really had no aim. And that was that many years ago. You know, that was... That was that many years ago. Now look at kids. They don't have both parents there. Over half the homes don't. And there's little things that make a difference in our life that aren't present. There's moral compasses that we all had because even if your parents didn't go to church, even if your parents didn't go to church, they dropped you off in church. They sent you to the children's crusade. They sent you to church summer camp. My parents put me on the bus. I went to the Nazarene, the Baptist. They dropped me off here, dropped me off there. I don't know if it was just free babysitting, but then they moved next door to a preacher that set a hook in them. And they never escaped. Thank God for people that are likable Christians. We don't have to compromise to be likable. Why should it feel like the wrath of God entered the room when a Christian comes? 
We should light up the room. We should bring joy to the room. When we come in the room, people go, oh, what's that warmth I feel? I don't know, but everywhere he goes, man, it's like it's joyful, it's peaceful, it's wonderful. If the Prince of Peace abides here, then peace should follow us around. If the God of love lives here, then people, why did they, why did they go to Jesus? The religious leader said he hung with the wrong people. Why did they go to Jesus? Because of the warmth of God's love for them. But Jesus didn't compromise to be accepted by them. They changed to become like him. You don't have to dumb down your faith. They're looking for something to rise to. Quit lowering the bar. Bring the bar back up. People are hungry for something that matters. I got to go find myself. Well, I can tell you where you're at. You're right here. Where do you need to go? Got to find a doppelganger out there somewhere? Some other person that looks like you? No, you're right here. You don't need to find yourself. You need to find your Savior. I love this passage with John's dilemma. This passage goes like this. It's in Matthew chapter 11. Pastor was reading it Sunday right after I put together tonight's. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about these things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we have been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Let's be fair to John, he was in prison. His ministry terminated for the most part. And the one that was claiming to be the Messiah was his cousin. The devil was chomping at his ear. You don't really think your cousin Joshua is the Messiah. I mean, come on. He's a carpenter, not a rabbi. You know he's been working with his stepdad all these years, building houses and furniture. How could that be the Messiah? So he sent his disciples to go find out. And Jesus did not ridicule his doubt. Jesus didn't say, you just go back and tell John, how dare you? He could have, couldn't he? You just tell him, go back and say, you heard the Father speak out of the cloud. I'm the big stuff, and you just don't get it, John. You need to straighten up and fly right. Is that what he said? No, it isn't. What he said, and these are the words in red in your Bible, if it's so marked, it says, Jesus said to them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. What's he saying? Tell John not to be offended. Don't be offended, John. Do you think it was easy to go to prison? 
It doesn't matter how fired you up you are for God. It didn't didn't matter how thrilled you are. Nobody wants to be behind bars. I just went in to do some visitation, and I had this knucklehead who was going from the city jail to the county jail to the some other farm thing, and I went to all three of them chasing him, going to visit, check on him. And I was in the downtown jail, and it was several floors, and I went up in a locked elevator, and they didn't get in any hurry to let me out. And I didn't get in any hurry to go back. When somebody asked to get in the program, I told him, I'll be glad to interview him, but he has to come to me. I'm not going to him. When that door clicked behind me, it sent chills down. I'm too weak to go to jail. I'm not getting in trouble because I don't want to go to jail. So they brought him. He came in shackles with two sheriffs, which amazed me that they would bring him, but they did. And he had the biggest grin on his face you ever saw because he knew if I would take him in the program, he could get out of jail. I didn't have any trouble taking him in program. I had trouble with the click when it was me on the inside instead of the outside. Not everybody goes to every place. I know people like going in and, and serving the prison population. I helped get a lifer out. And I took a lot of people from prison, and I had a lot of parole agents on a first-name basis, and I knew a lot of people that were involved directly with corrections. I helped a lot of folks, but from the outside. We're not all wired the same. I'm not a missionary. It's not because I don't think missionary works great. It's because I don't feel that's where God called me to go. They're already hungry over there. If I show up, I'll eat all their food. It would be terrible. <laughs> God had to keep me in America. It's more plentiful here. God loves you. God will use you. But sometimes God doesn't go the way you want it to. It may very well be that John didn't know when Jesus showed up, his ministry is over. He said, I've got to decrease so he can increase. I'm the, you know, I'm just the groomsman. He's the groom. But it doesn't mean that in his heart, he didn't feel like he could have had a church on the side for a while. He could have been an evangelist. He could have hung out. He didn't know that shortly after that he'd be beheaded. He maybe thought Jesus could have bailed him out. Hey, cousin, couldn't you come down here and post bail? Come on, cousin, over here. Jesus goes on to praise him, the last prophet of the Old Testament. He says, there is none greater. But like Pastor pointed out, the least of these are greater than him. Because they live in a different time, in a different place. Faith isn't the absence of doubt. But we do have to push through. It's like the old thought, when you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep moving. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, don't stop. Keep going. God is with us, but it doesn't mean we need to camp near Sodom and Gomorrah. We need to move on to God's purpose. What's God's purpose for you? 
What's God's calling? What does God want? Are you listening? Have you been asking? Baptism of the Holy Spirit, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit at 15 years old. I was saved at eight. Seven years of my life, I had wanted it. Didn't receive it. Didn't quit seeking it. What do you want from God? What, what's your hope? What's your desire? What fills you? Sometimes we don't even know. I talked about that before. Uh, of all things, I didn't think I'd be the loud mouth holding the mic up front talking about Twinkies or something. But God knew. When I stood up and said, at 15 years old, I said, I believe God's calling me into the ministry. The whole room, my little home church said, duh. They knew. I didn't. Nobody said a word. But I, I discovered it and had the support of my entire church body. When your calling comes, when it expresses itself, it'll be natural to those around you. They'll recognize it. Doesn't mean it won't divide your family. There may be somebody doesn't approve. I remember being offered a job at the mill. When you're tired of this preaching stuff, we can probably get you on at the mill. Well, I wouldn't plan on getting tired of it. God wants you to move past your doubt. He didn't scold John for having doubt. He didn't get ornery with John. He understood. God understands your dilemma. God understands where you find yourself. God understands your struggle. God understands what you're grappling with. God understands what you're not telling anybody. God understands. Sometimes when we're vulnerable, I really, uh, if you were at men's, uh, what do we call that? Man last church. night. When you were at man church last night, you heard how Jason had the courage to be vulnerable about his struggles because our pastor is willing to be vulnerable about his struggles. And the room did not reject him because he struggles. The room embraced him because we can relate. It doesn't mean that he's still there. I believe he's in a new place. But he admitted that he's been through a valley. He's been through a struggle. And... By the grace of God in this body of believers and our pastor, he's growing into something greater. I think that's what we heard, wasn't it? Sometimes people get it. You know, I talked with a uh, state superintendent in another state, and he said the sins of pastors are getting greater and greater. They're committing grievous sins. And used to be we'd see a moral failure or something every month or two. He said, now it's multiple times a week and the sins are great sins because what they want is not to be allowed back in. Fleeing the ministry. One of the crises in America is ministers are leaving. Why are they leaving? Because they don't feel the warmth and the strength and the power of God the way a body does when we're unified and when we're in one mind. When we're following after Jesus with our heart, we want the presence and passion of God more than we want to decide what color the carpet will be. Hey, I've been there. 
I, I had a church little group in our church put up $1,000 for new carpet for the church. The renovations cost 60000 by the time we were done redoing everything so we could lay the carpet. And they were determined to get a certain color carpet. I wanted the other color, but as the pastor, I didn't say a word. I was smart enough by that point in my ministry to know, not important. And it really isn't, is it? But yet sometimes we think we have more ownership than God. You don't own the breath in your mouth. God does. The beats of your heart are at his good favor. But see, if we don't believe that, we think we're owners on this planet. I have the title to my car. I have the deed to my house. I earned everything I've got. No, God gave you everything you've got. But sometimes we just don't see it that way. And then when something goes left instead of right and something doesn't work the way we thought it should, then we blame God for things he has nothing to do with. Or if he does, it's for your growth and maturity. I was listening today to a minister talk about he's home with his daughters and, and you know, they're just, he's watching TV and they're, watch, they're doing something in another room and he said three people come to the door. There's, you know, three knocks and three people are standing outside and one's an officer and one's a chaplain and one's a child service worker and they said, uh, sir, we're here to inform you that your wife's been in a tragic accident. And he said, I'm a pastor. Been a pastor for 20 years. And I've just been informed that my wife's died. The mother of my children is gone. And there's this huge hole in my life and I still have to go give hope to church people. I still have to believe and not doubt that God's still sovereign and still sits on the throne and still intends good for me. I have two natural daughters on this planet, but I have a third one that's in heaven already. My first one was full-term stillbirth. That was a difficult Sunday to go back to the pulpit. Not because I doubted anything, just because I understood that there'd been a little bit of hope stripped away. The devil wants to turn tragedy into his triumph. He wants to cause you to believe that if God really cared, you'd have an easy, easy life with no consequences, no difficulty, no lack of money, no health problems. You'll never have a difficulty, you know, if, you loved, if God loved you. This isn't what it's about. This life is 70 years of goes by so fast. In just a few days, I'm going to be 61 years old. Now, if you're 62, it's like, so what? But if you're 20, it's like, wow, you're ancient, man. Dude, did you grow up with horses and carriages? No TV, man. Wow. Yeah, we had a TV. We only had cartoons on Saturday. <gasps> no. Say it ain't so. We had three channels and you had to hold the TV to get one of them in, you know. 
You had to tune. We had, we had a dial, you had to tune. We read newspapers. But this life, I'm telling you, goes by fast. And there are different humps and bumps and valleys where the devil can say, if God really cared. I remember things in my life that you put the right ingredients, but the cake never rose. You know what I mean? It just fell flat. You don't necessarily always get an explanation. Sometimes you come up against a wall in, uh, in hospice, they call the wall the, in hospice, it's the time before you knew you had cancer and the time after you know you had cancer. For people that are divorced, it could be the, the divorce thing. It could be a health issue. It could be a financial issue. It could be the day before the bankruptcy and the day after the bankruptcy. It could be anything. But there's these segregating points in our life where disappointment or failure or guilt or shame crept in. We may have been a Christian, we may not have been a Christian, but it got under our armor and it caused us heartache and it caused us to, to pause, to hesitate, to think twice. John's in jail and he's saying, are you the one or should we look for another? That's a ridiculous question, John. When you put him in the water, he came out, the dove came down. And, and here was the father speaking out of the heavens. This is my son. Come on, John. But John was being honest. I'm having a dark day here, and I'm not sure. When I was going through my darkest day, I had a friend who wouldn't let me stay home from church. Matter of fact, they put me in the sound booth because... They weren't going to let me not feel responsible to be there. You know, I knew nothing about sound. All I did was make a happy face. I made a happy face. The bass up, the tenor up, the mid-range down. Happy face. Then it sounded really wonderful, you know. It's, and it, the, the sound things can go wrong and then we don't know what but it kept me in church when I felt nothing you may be keeping somebody in church until the feeler comes back until the presence is real just because everybody's feeling the presence doesn't mean there's not somebody here that's going I wish I could feel what they're feeling I wish I could sense what they're sensing. They say his, his presence is, you know, so thick. And they, they say, you, you know, you hear people laughing or see him slain in the spirit. And you're the one standing there going, am I supposed to fall? What am I, what am I supposed to do right now? Sometimes we don't understand. But God's so patient with us, he'll... He'll wait until we sort through, until we figure it out. He'll lead us, but he won't force us. Aren't you glad he's a shepherd? A shepherd leads the sheep. A cowboy drives them to slaughter, right? Matter of fact, that's how you can tell the difference between the devil's voice and God's voice. God is always calling. The devil's always pushing. 
Oh, you better go now. This opportunity ain't coming again. You better jump. You better run. You better go. And God's saying, come on. Come on, I got wonderful things to show you. Come on. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Come with me. Come on. Let's travel together. The devil's saying, go, go, go. Don't pass this one. Go, go. Do this now, now, now. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Jesus is coming quick, but God's patient, and he can wait. You may not have time to wait, but he can. He can wait for you. He's been waiting your entire life for your full devotion. Sometimes we give him enough to feel better about ourselves, but he wants all of it. He wants everything. I love the Bible because you know what it says? He loves me. Not because I'm anything special. And I've never really felt this sort of specialness. But because he just does. You know, when he says, for God so loved the whole world, that included me. You know, I'm included. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't send his son to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved. A lot of people come to God thinking all he wants to do is condemn me. And really all he wants to do is lift off your condemnation. He doesn't want to shame you. He wants to take away your shame. He doesn't want to guilt you into this. Conviction is not the same as guilt. Guilt tears you down. Conviction draws you up. Come on up here. He wants us to be seated in heavenly places and have a whole new perspective. He doesn't want you to suppress the fact that you struggle. He wants you to admit the fact that you struggle. Admit it. I struggle. As long as I've been a Christian, I should never struggle. But I do. As many... Years as I've read the Bible or prayed, I shouldn't have any concerns, but I have concerns. I don't doubt God, but it doesn't mean that I don't struggle with the way life plays out. Don't you struggle sometimes? In Matthew chapter 8, it said, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down a mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing... You can heal me and make me clean. That if sort of had a lingering doubt, didn't it? If you're willing. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be healed. And instantly his leprosy disappeared. Then in uh, John chapter 20, it says... We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wounded side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly before them, Jesus was standing, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand on the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Don't doubt. Believe. 
You know what makes Thomas great? He asks the question that we would be asking later. How am I supposed to know it really happened? Because Thomas asked for you. Thirteen times Jesus was seen resurrected after he died. And if they just stole the body, why would they die for a dead, decaying body? They were all martyred simply because they believed. The doubt had been removed. There was doubt before Jesus ended up on the cross. This is not how we thought it would turn out. But the doubt had been removed now. Thomas died when they thrust him through the stomach. They asked him to deny his faith. He said he couldn't do it. In India, they took his life. Peter crucified upside down. When you go through the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it says we weren't even worthy of these people. Why did we become unworthy of them? Because they were fully invested. They had shaken off all the doubt. Doesn't mean they didn't ask the question. Thomas just did. He just did. He'd been with Jesus. He'd sat around the campfire with Jesus. He heard Jesus say, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again, boys. Don't worry, it'll be all right. Peter was so scared of the people when he was being tried, he denied him. He denied him. I, I, I don't know that guy. Oh, your accent betrays you. So what? I, not me. I don't have any part of him. Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Identified him with a kiss. I can hear Jesus. Really? Judas? Really? They were a force to be reckoned with. Peter, the one who was being ridiculed for either speaking for Satan or sinking in the water. Where's your faith, man? Turns into a preacher on the day of Pentecost that leads 3,000 people. I'd love to have a meeting in my life where 3,000 people came to the altar, got saved, and joined the church. That's a good day. That's a good day. He wasn't doubtful after that. He did have a little fear of man, though. He was having some shrimp and catfish, and some of the religious guys came in and he threw a napkin over his plate. Paul said, you should not have done that. Either you're free or you're not. Let every man work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. Erase the doubt. By being real. But let God put you on the track that you're supposed to travel. If you're willing, those ifs creep in, don't they? They do. They creep in. It doesn't make it easier. It can be difficult sometimes. It can be difficult to admit that you struggle. We don't want to struggle. We want it to be easy. We want, it to be, we want God to be proud of us. We want to earn our place. And God keeps telling us, quit thinking about it that way. You can reject the truth. You can suppress the truth. You can choose not to believe the truth. But at the end of the day, that's just unbelief. 
Doubt doesn't mean you don't believe. Doubt means you need clarification. I need more understanding. I don't have the whole picture. I'm missing a piece in the middle of the puzzle. Somebody help me figure out what this picture is. That's where we come in. That's where we need each other. Oswald Chambers said, doubt is not a sign that a man is wrong. It's just really a sign that he's thinking. There may be times when you're not sure why it has to be a certain way. And that's where faith comes in, being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. I can't say that I understand all of it. The older I am, the more the breadth and the depth of the Bible expands. When you first get saved, you're splashing around in it like, ooh, this is neat, ooh, ooh, nice. And you wade out and it's kind of on your knees and you feel the sway of the water and you go, okay, that's great. And then you get to your waist and then you start, I can't, you know, I'm getting to where I can't touch the bottom. And then it carries you off. Sometimes we race back to the shallow part because that's where we're still in control. But I want to launch into the deep. I want to go out there where God's got me and it's not about me at all anymore. In the process of wading out into God, address your doubts so that your convictions deepen. If you leave a doubt down in your convictions, it's going to erode them. And it's going to cause you to compromise someday. And none of us need that. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father. There could be any number of people here that have any number of doubts for any number of reasons. But God, I want us to have this confidence that we are a child of God. That we are called to be part of your family. That we are the warriors that put on the full armor of God and represent you to this lost and dying world. That we need to be courageous and knowledgeable. And God, that we need to press through any doubt. As long as it's about me, I haven't pressed on far enough. As long as it's about my issues, I haven't gone far enough. So deliver me from me. Heal me. Lead me, direct me, and guide me so that it can be all about you. Because God really and truly, it's about you. You complete us in a way that we could have never found any other way. It's not going to come in fame or fortune or power or influence or any other thing. It's not going to come through family. It's going to come through you, God. You're the one that fills the hole in our heart. You're the one that sets us free from our fears. You're the one that releases us from shame and guilt. You're the one that gives us direction and a path to follow. Your word lights the path. And we know where to go because of you. So God, if there's anybody here that's consumed with a fear or a doubt that are struggling with feeling less than completely saved, that are not sure their name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, that, that are just feeling they're not where they should be by now, help them, God, to surrender that to you. If you've got a doubt of any kind, it's none of my business what it is. It's between you and the Lord. But if you've got a doubt, just present it to him right now. 
If you've got a doubt, lift your hand where you're at and say, there is a doubt in my life, a struggle, a, a confusion, a, a fear. If it's present, there's a hand right there. I see it. There's another. Anybody else? There's several. There's another. Anybody else? There's another one. God wants to resolve these things in our life. He wants us to open up to him. He wants us to ask. You have not because you ask not. You, you need to seek and, you, and you'll find the answer. Knock and that door will open. God wants to pull away the weight of doubt and fear. He's not afraid of your doubts because he's the answer. It doesn't matter what the question is. He's the answer. Let's all stand tonight. If there's anybody that needs some time to pray, come on forward. Come on and find a place to pray. If you need a place to pray, just find a place to pray. And then we'll close out with prayer. Anybody else needs a place to pray? Let's let's come to the altar and spend some time with God. There we go. You know what? When you come to the altar, you're embraced by the love of God. There's nothing here that involves condemnation and ridicule. There's nothing here that points at your pain or pokes your wound. God's here to help you give you wisdom and answers and direction and solutions and, and hope. God loves you. If we could have some of the prayer people come and gather around some of these folks, we'll finish up tonight. And if you need to go, that's alright. If you want to stay, that's completely acceptable. But let's just close with this prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that if it was okay for John the Baptist to ask, if it was okay for John the Baptist to say, are you the one? Or should we look for another? It's okay for us. God, you're not afraid of our questions. You have the answer. God, deliver us from the torments of the devil, the doubts that he creates, the moments when he says, Does, did God really say? And help us to embrace the love of God. You love us. You forgive us. You accept us. You add our name to the Lamb's Book of Life. You invite us into your family. You embrace us because we're yours. So God, let us know the truth and let it set us free. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless y'all. Thank you for coming out tonight. Anybody? Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.